0: On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to keep it simple again. We're going to talk about Salvation
1: 101. The last couple of weeks, we've done what we called 101 studies, just really bas- very basics on the church and on worship. We thought we'd go to the most vital and basic question of all. What must I do to be saved? Salvation 101, we're calling tonight's study.
0: All right. It's going to be an important discussion. You're going to stay tuned because we're going to get started right now.
2: 331-381- Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's
0: Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 6, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwyn. My father, Greg Gwyn is there. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you as well. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad to have you here. And we have a special guest tonight.
1: Yeah, we've got uh, your brother, uh, Jared, is with us tonight. Jared, thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study.
3: Glad to be here. Yeah. You don't sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we're glad that you're here.
0: Um, and we're glad that you're listening on the other end of the line tonight. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, collegeview dot com, and in the chat window to the bottom of your video feed, uh, you can sign in and chat with other listeners. If you haven't taken a minute to do that, you can do that and remain anonymous if you want. Or just put in a first name or a nickname, whatever you want. But uh, sign in there so you can share your comments with other listeners on the program tonight. It's going to be an important discussion for us tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah. We want to talk about salvation. There's a very basic question, what must I do to be saved? There is no more important question than that. We want to be saved. We want to be in heaven eternally. So what would it take to be there? What must I do to be saved? That's a question that was frequently asked in the New Testament. And so there's a lot of information provided to us about things that that will produce salvation for us, that affect our salvation, that will lead us to salvation. So uh, it's a really important question. Yep. So we sent out to our update list earlier today <clears throat> six questions, uh, and I'm going to read them off real quick. If you're not on our update list, you can be. Send us an email to questions at com. Say, add me to the list. Number one, these are the questions we sent out earlier today. We also had them on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook at virtualbiblestudy.com. Uh, uh, no, just Virtual Bible Study on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, number one, is it true or false to say that God wants everyone to be saved? As a follow-up to that question, explain the concept of predestination in verses like Romans eight twenty nine and Ephesians 1, verse 5. Number two, what should be expected in the end? All saved? Most saved? A minority saved? Now, depending on your answer to that, how do you reconcile your answer to this question with your answer to question one about does God want everyone to be saved? Number three, is salvation conditional? If so, what are the conditions? Can you earn your salvation by completing certain deeds Number four, is salvation possible via many different religions, Muslims, Hindus, non-believing Jews, and so forth? Number five, is it possible to be once saved but later lost again? Number six, are there some things that God tells us to do or to not do that are, quote, not a salvation issue? That is to say that some commands are optional. All right, so I don't know if we're going to get through all those tonight, Jacob, but We'll, we'll, this might we'll try. be Salvation 101.1, part A. All right, so to the first question, is it true or false to say that God wants everyone to be saved? We got an email from a, an old friend that we have not heard from in a long time uh uh Phil has contacted us. Phil Phil used to be a member of the Church here at College View and in the very early days of the virtual Bible study was a participant with us and helped in uh, getting the virtual Bible study off the ground. He do, he doesn't agree with us anymore on some very Basic doctrinal questions. Sadly, uh, so we've we've kind of uh, gone our separate ways. But Phil took time to to send us some responses tonight. Yeah, glad to hear from Phil, Phil, and appreciate him taking the time to to send in his, yeah. his now, responses. As I said, we we are in disagreement about some real basics of the of, of the uh, of Bible truths. So he's gonna, he's gonna pretty much take a different view than we do on these questions about salvation. But we want to give a hearing to what he has to say and then, and then compare it to what our other listeners have responded, what we believe the Bible teaches on these questions. And most importantly, we're gonna compare it to what the Scriptures teach. That's that's the final answer here. So, question one, is it true or false to say that God wants everyone to be saved?
0: Before we get to that, he, he uh, gives a little prelude here to his uh, questions, uh, or his answers. He says, a challenge in replying to some of the questions is that they mistakenly presuppose a framework and view of God foreign to Scripture. In God's gracious covenants, he initiates and forms a relationship with people and then gives them commands. For instance, see Exodus 19 and 20. He first tells Israel who they are in covenant relationship with him. It is after that that God gives them laws to obey. Indicatives come before imperatives. So the idea is that you enter into a covenant with God, and then he gives you commands that you must obey. But that's not the pattern that we do see in Exodus, because Exodus 19 and in Exodus 20, we understand the Ten Commandments. But if you go over to Exodus chapter 24, that's where the children of Israel enter into the covenant with God. In Exodus chapter 24, um, we see there in um, verse uh, um, uh, 7, he took the book of the covenant, read it in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. So God gave instructions, some of those being Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. They're read to the children of Israel. The children of Israel say, we're going to do them, we're going to obey them. Everything God has said, we're going to obey them. Now look at verse 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And so the children of Israel heard what God wanted from them. They said, okay, we're going to do it. And they entered into that covenant. And Moses sprinkled the blood on them to signify that you're now in a covenant relationship with God. And so right off the start, I think that, that... this may support some of Phil's ideas later on as we go through, but I think it's based on faulty, uh, a faulty conclusion here from Exodus chapter uh, 19 and 20 and through 24 that God enters into a covenant with you first and then gives you instructions to follow.
1: Yeah. I, I think we're going to see that, that salvation results from a process of things. It is not that God chooses us... uh he he doesn't he doesn't strike a covenant with us and then tell us what our part of the covenant agreement is Uh, i think we're going to see that that certainly god has provided for us what we could never do for ourselves but but we only avail ourselves of the advantage of what he has done when we when we Learn and obey, and I think that will come. I think
0: out. that's the idea of a covenant. And uh, I mean, do you think the word covenant? Covenants.
1: Just basically means an agreement, right? Uh, and so a covenant is established when God does something and we do something. There's an agreement. an agreement. We agree with God. It's not
0: a covenant if you don't agree to it. It's a mandate. Yeah. All right. I mean, there are mandates. We're, we get put under mandates all the time. You know, the government may mandate something.
1: Yeah, We've but been through it, a lot of
0: that with the COVID. Yeah, but it's not a it's not a covenant. Yeah, we don't make an agreement with the government. They, yeah. they, they tell us you're going to do this. Yeah, uh, and but God makes
3: covenants with okay. us.
1: Okay. okay, well let's see we'll, we'll try to we'll try to flesh that out as we go a little bit further in this. So so le- that leads us to question one: Is it true that God wants everyone to be saved? Well, he's uh, Phil says it's true if everyone means both Jew and Gentile or all people groups. It's false if everyone means each individual. And that's, and that's really what I meant. Does he want every individual to be saved? Phil says no. He doesn't want every individual to yeah. be saved. Yeah. God is God. He does whatever he desires or purposes. Psalms 115.3, Isaiah 46.10. If he desires the salvation of each individual, he will save each individual. We are not the exception to his sovereignty. Yeah. Passages like First Timothy 2, verse 4, and 2 Peter 3, verse 9, are frequently cited on this topic, reading the paragraphs and chapters of where those statements are, or where they where those statements live, and will help us understand who all and any are. So he references Psalm 115, verse 3,
0: but our God is in heaven, he doth whatever he hath pleased, and, and certainly God can do anything that he pleases, but he has revealed to us his desire in the areas of
1: salvation. All right. So he he mentions a verse that I would go to to answer this question. I do think he wants every individual to be saved. First Timothy four uh two verse four. God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's certain I, I that seems very plain to me. Second Peter three, verse nine says The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't see how the context of that could mean anything other than every individual. Well, you go back to verse 3
0: that the last day scoffers are going to come after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they are willfully ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Or by the world that was then being overflowed with water perished, and it goes on now, but uh, the, the, the there's one year's a thousand days. the Lord's not slack concerning his promise as some men count slack not willing that any should perish. seems to me he's talking about the world there, doesn't it yeah. talking about everyone yeah
1: uh, uh, so okay so um, passages like Romans ten. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear it without a preacher? It goes on. Verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That doesn't seem to be uh, with exception. Whosoever comes to the lord seeking salvation will be sa- can be saved uh, so i i don't see how that that the answer could be other than yes god wants everyone to be saved in
0: acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35 as peter comes in to cornelius and, and he's had to see this vision of the bed sheet coming down uh he said that to tell him that the Gentiles can be saved in Acts chapter 10 verse 34 Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him So Phil's view here forces God to be a respecter of persons if not how can we say that God chooses someone to be saved and he chooses someone else to go to hell now God could he could he's He's sovereign
1: we always we always talk about the sovereignty of God he could if he wanted to but he's told us he doesn't now and now since he told us that he is not a respecter of persons he can't become a respecter of persons because he doesn't lie he couldn't do something that's contrary to his nature and he couldn't do something he said he, he couldn't he couldn't Do something that would affect a lie in his previous statements. Right.
0: Yeah. Now, here's that's you make a good point. Could God lie? Could God God is in heaven. Could He lie if He wanted to? If it wasn't in His nature, He could. But God cannot lie because it's contrary to His nature. So you couldn't go to Psalm 115 verse three. God is in heaven. He doth whatever He hath pleased. You couldn't go to that verse and say God lies. God can tell lies. No. You can't force that to contradict what we've been told about God's nature. And so God has said he's not a respecter of persons. And so we can't then interpret other passages to force God to be a respecter
1: of persons. Yeah, I think that's true. I just really think that's true. Let's see. Uh, uh, let's see. Well, before we get to that, how do we explain then the idea that that there's a predestination involved in salvation? Romans 8 verse 29 Romans 8, verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Ephesians 1, verse 5. Ephesians 1, verse 5. You know what, Jacob? My pages are sticking together again tonight. Oh, man. I it's think the there's humidity. some humidity in this room. It's humidity. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 5 having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, <coughs> the scriptures do use the expression predestinated or predestined, predestination. Now, if you just heard that word, I think you would probably say that means he'll save this guy and that guy, but he won't save another guy in other words he he specifically specifically individually chooses people who will be saved and therefore he he has already determined that others will be lost and and that's that's an old theological doctrine It's very often credited to John Calvin. I think it it existed long before John Calvin was around. John Calvin sort of formalized it into a sort of a system of theology. But predestination. So does the Bible teach predestination? Absolutely. It certainly does. We're not denying it at all. But because of these other passages that we've already looked at, wherein God wants all men to be saved, uh, he's not a respecter of persons. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got to harmonize those passages that talk about predestination with the idea that all men are eligible to salvation. And so the explanation has to be then that God has predestined that those who will come to him in obedient faith will be saved. That's how he, 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 he chose. That he would save all who come to him in obedience. It's faith. not a last-minute,
0: uh, stopgap type of measure. He chose this before the foundation of the world. And,
1: and it's not you, you, and you, but not you and you. It's it's a, a class or group of people. He chooses. He has chosen that he will save all who are obedient and faithful. I like what you said about harmonization here because we have
0: to interpret these passages in such a way that they harmonize with other passages. We can't take these passages and stand on them and say that's what it teaches and then just slaughter the other passages that have uh, explanation about God wanting all to be saved. We have to make the two harmonize, and we can make them harmonize. Predestination doesn't have to mean he chose down to the individual. It doesn't have to mean that, yeah. and it doesn't mean that if we understand these other passages. Yeah. Let's grab a break. And when we come back, let's see what our emailers say about this. We're not going very fast, but we're having a good discussion, and we want you to participate. Uh, join in with uh, your comments in the chat room, over the phone, or in email. We'll be back right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Here's a quick thought. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Colossians 3, 2. What will you focus on today? Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul says this in Philippians 4 and verse 8. Seize
1: the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Trust not the world. It never pays what it promises. Always put off till tomorrow what you shouldn't do at all. Integrity means being good when nobody is looking. There are no idle rumors. Rumors are always busy. To get to heaven, turn right and keep straight. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues.
0: We're back on the program tonight as we talk about Salvation 101, basic ideas and concepts about salvation. And uh, as we're seeing here, there are a lot of differing views on this subject. Um, We don't think the scriptures are all that difficult to understand on the subject, but a lot of different views on it. And so let's look to the scriptures and see what they tell us about salvation because this is such an important topic for us to consider tonight.
1: All right, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says God does desire all accountable individuals to be saved, second Peter three nine, that's the verse we already looked at. The concept of predestination is taught in the New Testament. However, we need to understand how the Scriptures affirm such a concept. Romans eight twenty nine and Ephesians one verse five both speak of predestination in a qualified way. Scriptural predestination is conditional. It is never used nor spoken of unconditionally. Predestination is never affirmed in a way that is in opposition to our free will God has never forced anyone to act in a way that denies the free choice of humanity scriptural predestination as it relates to script, uh, to salvation in Christ is spoken of regarding a class of individuals the New Testament church acts 2028 20, Colossians 1 13 14 18 Ephesians 1 22 and 23 Ephesians 5 23 acts 247. Okay.
0: All right. And Jim says, It is true that God wants everyone to be saved, for he has said so. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Predestination, Romans 8, verses 29, and Ephesians 1, verse 5. God has predestined those that, that those who are his children will be saved. He has not predestined who individually will be saved, as in arbitrarily selecting one person but rejecting another. We are to be conformed to the image of his Son, Romans eight verse twenty nine, and when we obey the gospel, we are added to the body of Christ. We become His obedient children. Ephesians chapter one verse five. Good comments there from from Jim. Okay, uh, and he, he referenced that passage in First Timothy two verses one through four, uh, and 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 Phil referenced that as well. He and, knew
1: we would go to that. I mean, Phil yeah, mentioned yeah, but, it because but, he knew we would go to that.
0: Yeah, and he but he says here, reading the paragraphs and chapters that the statements live in will help us. Understand who all and any are. The idea is, well, God didn't mean all. What He just meant was the, ch- the, the the chosen people. He wants all of the chosen to be saved, or maybe He just wants both Jew and Gentile. Some select from all both, of all people
1: groups. Phil, all Phil people said.
0: groups, or just all of the save that God chose. But that's not what it says in First Timothy chapter two. We looked at First Peter chapter, uh, second Peter chapter three already. First Peter chapter two. I like that Jim gives us the whole context, or not the whole context, but a good portion of the context. Look at verse 1. I will I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Does God just want us to make prayers for the saved, or just a few? No, that's all men, isn't it? Look, he goes on and explains, For kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Well, now, how can all men in verse 1 not just be the saved or a subset? It means everybody. God wants us to pray for everybody. But when we get down to verse 4, that doesn't mean everybody? So
1: the word all changes meaning in the course of a paragraph. Doesn't seem to make sense with the context. Yeah. Okay. Dwight in Iowa says... It is stated in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord does not wish any to perish, but to all come to repentance. So it is true the Lord does want all to be saved, but it's up to the individual to repent, to be obedient to his will. John three sixteen also say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As for predestined, we are predestined to go to heaven when we follow the commands of the Lord. As in any will, if you follow the instruction of the testator, you will receive that which the testator has stated in the will. God tells us in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. So with that in mind, in order to receive the reward of heaven, we must be obedient to his will. Okay. Thank you, Dwight. Thank you, Dwight, for that. And um,
0: finally, uh, Grant up in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, says it is true that God wants everyone to be saved. He references 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, he says uh, when he wants to, uh, on the idea of explaining the concept of predestination, he says references uh, Romans eight twenty nine and thirty. He states for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined but be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, and then Ephesians chapter one verses four through six. He uh, he says um, um, predestination is from Greek the Greek word uh, porizo which literally means to predetermine or to decide beforehand. God predetermined before the world began what type of people would be adopted into his family. And those individuals would have the characteristics of being receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, obeying the gospel, and subsequently
1: being in him. Okay. All right. Thank you, Graham. So, again, I think it it would be easy to jump to the conclusion when you read that word predestined or predestinated or predestination. It's very easy to quickly assume that means specific individuals are chosen and others are thus rejected. But that that is n- not the meaning when taken in the context of all Scripture. It has to mean that it's predestined or chosen a class of people. God has chosen to, to save the faithful obedient people back
0: to your comment about harmonizing the scriptures we have to we have to interpret those verses in such a way that they can be harmonized with the rest of the the bible and uh we believe that uh understanding it this way allows us to make that harmonization without any conflict of other passages
1: all right so i think we've got that let's the next question i think is pretty easy uh what should be expected in the end All saved, most saved, a minority saved. How do you reconcile that, whatever your answer is, how do you reconcile that with the answer to question one, does God want everyone to be saved? Well, the answer to the question, what to expect in the end, Jesus himself answered that Uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So Jesus has answered our question. In the end, what we can expect is that a minority of people will be saved. Now, that's not us saying that. That's Jesus saying that. So, I mean, we just have to accept that as being the fact. Now, If that is the right answer, how do we reconcile that with our answer to question one, which was God wants everybody to be saved, but the reality is that only a minority of people are going to be saved. So
0: you're saying God doesn't get what he wants. Are you you somehow uh, reducing this idea of the sovereignty of God? God wants everybody to be saved, but not everybody is going to be saved. And so
1: now you somehow handcuff God. Well, that's why I suppose that's what some people would accuse us of, but I don't think that's true, I, I, because what you got to factor in there is the free moral agency of mankind. So, God wants me to be saved, but he's not going to force me to be saved. He wants me to do his will, but he's not going to, he's not going to, he hasn't pre-programmed me like a robot, he's given me a free will, and so the, so all would be saved if all freely made the choice to obey god but men will not make that choice we just and jesus knew the reality of that when he said few there be that find the straight and narrow way that leads to life eternal so the the the, the reason why not all will be saved when that is actually what god really would like the reason why that's not going to come to fruition is because god allowed us free moral agency choice if God doesn't want all men to be saved, then what
0: we really have is that God wants some men to be saved, and he wants some men to be lost. That's what we're forced to with this this idea that God is chosen. Yeah. God wants some to be saved, and he wants some to be lost. Again, we can't harmonize that with the scriptures. We can't harmonize that with the idea of a loving God. We can't harmonize it with simple passages like Psalms 7, verse 11 God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That would force God into being some type of um, of um, schizophrenic. Because he wants you to be saved, but he's mad at you. For, I mean, he wants you to be lost, but he's mad at you when you're wicked. Yeah. How could that be? Oh, I see what you're You, say. you yeah. see, yeah. God's angry with the wicked every day. Why would he be angry with the wicked? They're doing what he wants them to do. Yeah. He, he told them he, he made them wicked.
1: He made them be sinful and lost. And now he's angry with them about when they're doing, when they're doing their thing. Yeah. Okay, I see your point. Yeah. So, uh, again, we know the answer to the question is not all will be saved. Actually, a minority of people will be saved, and the, and the reason why that is is not because God rejected them, but they rejected God. He gave them that the free will, a, a free will, and that opportunity. Make your choice. Yeah. Uh, and and you know it, it it's sort of like. The, the famous choice that Joshua put upon the children of Israel in Joshua 24, verse 15. In Joshua 24, Joshua said, If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the, of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. He gave them that choice. A, it's always been the case. Not
0: according to the teachings of John Calvin. God chose them. Yeah, they didn't. They don't get to choose. Yeah, That's it's it's not. Joshua is just sort of putting out a empty words there because it was already predetermined. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, All right. Here's what Kent said. Christ stated in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, as well as in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, that only a minority will be saved, such as reconciled uh, concerning God's desire for all accountable humanity to be saved and properly understanding that God never works in opposition to one's freedom of personal choice. While God desires all lost people to be saved, he has never, nor will he ever, coerce or force any individual or group of individuals in acting against their free will. Matthew eleven verses twenty eight through thirty, the invitation to respond to the gospel is contingent upon the sinner making their own choice to accept and obey God's truth. Like that's right. Okay. Uh, here's what Jim says. Um, he says probably minority saved. The parable of the sower shows that only that only one of the four places where the seed was sown was fruitful. Luke eight verses five through eight, eleven through fifteen. Jesus said that the way of the entrance to by the is by the straight of the uh, straight gate which is narrow and only a few will enter in it. Uh, Matthew seven thirteen 13, and 14. I reconcile my answer with that of, of question one by the fact that God may desire all to be saved, but he forces no one to be saved. We choose to be saved when we agree to his will and submit our li- ourselves to his will and obey the gospel.
1: Yeah. Now, again, I think we've got to talk about this idea of God's sovereignty. God could have chosen to unconditionally save everyone that he wanted to save. But he didn't. He, he, he determined that he would save those who come to him in obedient faith. That's, and so he's given us the choice. And since he gave us the choice, that's his sovereignty in action. His sovereignty in action was to make us free moral agents. To give us the choice to whether we will obey or not. That's not a violation of his sovereignty. In his sovereignty, he made that plan, or did, he made that determination. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, it doesn't, that doesn't violate any concept of sovereignty for God to give us free will. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says, we first have to believe what the Bible teaches. This is God's word, and his word is truth. What the Bible says on how many will be saved is found in Matthew 7, beginning verse 13. Enter the straight and narrow way, which we've already mentioned. Take Noah... Uh, for an example, only eight people were saved back in the beginning because Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. He was righteous and obedient. People have a choice on which way they want to go. Adam and Eve both had a choice back in the garden. However, they were deceived and that choice had bad consequences. All right. Again. So again, all the way back to the beginning, Dwight says, people have been given a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. Again, if we're talking, if we're going to
0: take the Calvinistic view of the sovereignty of God, God made Adam and Eve sin. He chose that for them. Uh, and that's simply done to scriptures, what the scriptures teach. Uh, Grant said, Matthew seven verses thirteen and fourteen says, "Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many who enter it. Through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it." Clearly, uh, Jesus is clearly teaching in these passages that there are few who will be saved. Remember, at the time of Noah, only eight persons were brought safely through the flood. First Peter three verse twenty. Now, I like that passage. Now, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, does doesn't make any sense if I take this idea of God being <coughs> sovereign in God's sovereignty, forcing him to choose down to the individual? Matthew 7, verse 14 says, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who are chosen for it or who, few who were picked by God for it. No, what's it say? Few who find it. Yeah, that seems to be
1: uh, suggest their action. The individual responsibility. Yeah. Okay. So, now, Grant goes on there to say, how do you reconcile this with the idea that God desires all men to be saved? God created us to be free moral agents. We have free will to choose to do good or evil. God had in his mind before eternity, uh, before eternity began, a, a plan for mankind to be adopted into his family, Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. But in, bo- in order to be adopted and attain eternal salvation, we must be obedient children. Hebrews 5, 8, 9 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So although God desires that all men be saved, only a few will be obedient children in his family. Okay. I think that's right. All right. We
0: need to get this week's bullet point, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. You know, the problem with some of this Calvinistic teaching is that it does, it tries to understand things about God that our brains can't understand, and it tries to force God into a box that uh, can be defined by us as far as how this works
1: yeah I, I do think that we have we have the the dilemma of trying to comprehend the infinite eternal god with our finite pea brains yeah. and uh, that's sometimes a difficult challenge for instance how could god foreordain this before the foundations of the world how
0: could he have a plan for jesus to save us from our sins when we hadn't even sinned yet we weren't even around yet and how does all that work well there are a lot of things that we're not going to be able to understand about God, but we can understand what he's told us. And we can understand His the things about his nature that he's revealed to us. And we can also understand that anything that we believe has to correspond and, and harmonize with that. Yeah. When we get back, the next question for us to get The started. next
1: question is, is salvation conditional? If so, what are the conditions? And does that mean that you can earn your salvation by completing certain deeds or tasks? All right. Well, Phil has responded and said no. Uh, we'll look at what he has to say. Again,
0: we appreciate his responses tonight. Um, and we'll look at that, and we'll look at your responses and the Scriptures. And don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Are you listening?
1: There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of David McPherson. Sometimes people attempt to justify their sinful conduct on the basis of saying, well, everyone else is doing it. If everyone else is dressing immodestly, what are we going to do? If everyone else is going to a must-see R-rated movie, what are we going to do? If everyone else is lying, stealing, or cheating, what are we going to do? In the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, everyone else was bowing down and worshiping the king's golden image. See Daniel 3, beginning verse 1. But what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They said, quote, Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Daniel 3, verse 18. These men loved the Lord and courageously served him, regardless of what everyone else was doing. May we, too, have the courage to be different. Brethren, quote, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, verse 2. God's children are not to follow in the sins of others, but are to lead others out of darkness and into light. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
0: I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study.
1: Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program
0: tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. Or if you happen to be cruising around on YouTube, Kyle, where could you find out more there?
3: Yeah, it's well, College View Livestream. Just type in, you can just type in College View, the. C-O-L-L-E-G-V-U-E. Um, yeah, um so it's spelled a little weird but uh, you just type in college view and it usually comes right up college view live stream so it's some good studies most of our viewers seem to come from people who actually aren't subscribed so that's a good thing let's subscribe while you're there so you can get our videos our bible studies or we're doing a marriage study on Wednesday nights so
1: yeah we just uh, started that study on Wednesday night we good. just started into the unfortunate subject of divorce and remarriage and that that's a that's a tough subject I'm sad to say I think it's a subject being neglected very much in, in a lot of places. We've got to know, and our young people have got to know. We've got our—we've actually got our teens sitting in with us in the adult class during this quarter, so that we can help get them grounded on this subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Just a tough subject.
0: So, if, if someone's listening tonight, I, well, I can't attend that the Bible study. I'm—I'm I'm a thousand miles away from you. Well, Kyle, but through the magic of the internet,
1: you can. Yeah. Go to yeah. College U X- live stream. Yeah. Now, that's a separate channel from this virtual Bible study channel. So got, we've got two channels out there. So if you want those sermons and Bible classes, go to College U live stream on YouTube. And
0: the question of the day is, Kyle, which major network is uh, producing these videos? Because they look so good. Kyle's I, don't know our, about
3: that. I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, we try. The Kyle Broadcasting Network. Nope.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. It looks good out there. All right. So. What is the, the, the third question that we put out there is, is salvation conditional? If so, what are the conditions? Can you earn your salvation? So I'm, I'm going to tell you my answer first. Is salvation conditional? Yes. What are the conditions? Faith, repentance, confession, baptism for the remission of sins, and to live and serve faithfully until death. I'll give more detail on those when I get a chance here in a minute. But my answer to the question is salvation conditional is yes. If it's not conditional, then it would be universal. Well, because or, God wants
0: all. If God wants all to be saved, and if it was unconditional,
1: then all would be saved. Yeah, but again, some have the view that God has only chosen certain ones to salvation. Yeah, right. So, so we've already dealt with the idea that God God couldn't in His nature arbitrarily choose some for salvation and reject others. He couldn't do that. That's not in his nature. God wants all men to be saved. God's no respecter of persons. So if there's no conditions to be met and God desires all to be saved, then all will be saved, and that is universalism. Right. I don't think I don't think very many people believe that. Some do, obviously. I don't think Phil does, but here's what he says to this question of conditional salvation. No. Is salvation conditional? No. Salvation is not a contract where we, whereby we do our part and God fulfills His side of the bargain. Faith is not a condition one meets, but rather is the means by which God justifies as He graciously grants it to the rebel sinner. I understand you disagree, but I am persuaded this is the right reading of Ephesians 2. Faith is something that sinners will never bring to the table on their own volition, of their own volition. Uh, in no part of salvation can man say, but for my wait a minute, I'm, 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 I've got to I got to see if I can read that right. Uh, oh, I, I guess this is to the question: Can we earn? Uh, so let's 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 deal with that in a minute. Let's go. Yeah.
0: Let's let's, let's okay. <coughs> Faith,
1: you want you you, you you done? You want to you yeah yeah. Let's that? just t- let's deal with this first part of what. Phil is okay. At.
0: All right. Faith is not a condition one meets, but is rather the means by which ju- God justifies as he graciously grants it to the rebel sinner. So God gives you faith. God, I guess, chooses that you, you have faith. He, chooses, he gives you that faith, and then that's the way that he justifies you. That doesn't harmonize with some other passages. He references Romans 8, verse 7. Let's look at that quickly. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is empty against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. We can't uh, can't be, if we are carnally minded, be subject to God. But let's look at some other passages that tell us about faith and how I get faith. We see here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's something about this gospel, it's the power of God. Well, what you we know about when you hear the gospel, what does it tell us there? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does God give me the faith? By hearing the word of God. It's not something that I, that I come up with on my own, but God has given me through the word the faith that I need to be pleasing to him. I, can't, I, can't, I didn't formulate the, the instructions that God has given me here. I, I didn't formulate these words.
1: God gave us these words. When we hear them, we can believe. You know, all through the book of Acts, we see the conversion of literally thousands of people in the book of Acts. And in every case, the people who were saved heard the message and either chose to accept it or reject it. But those who were saved are the ones who accepted the message and acted upon it. But think about that. Faith is not a condition one meets, Phil says, but rather is the means by which God justifies as he graciously grants it, faith. God graciously grants faith to the rebel sinner. Well, now, you have to say Phil's being consistent because it would necessarily have, if that's true, then it would necessarily have to be so that God chose which ones were going to have faith. He granted faith only to some and not to others. So Phil's view that not all are chosen for salvation would be have to go with this, that God only gives faith to certain ones. But on the other hand, if what we concluded, that God truly does want all to be saved, then he doesn't just grant faith to a select few, but he gives the word, and when people hear the word, if they believe it, and act upon it, they have saving faith. And so faith is a response to the message. Uh, I, I read earlier in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so, in other words... How are they going to have faith? They've got to hear the message. And if they hear that message and call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, they can be saved. But Phil's answer is is a follow-up to his previous answer, which suggested that only certain ones will be saved, therefore only certain ones God will bestow faith upon. And that's just not biblical.
3: Jared's been
0: listening quietly on the other side of the room
3: tonight. Jared, your thoughts on that? Hey guys, got a quick passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. A little bit, obviously, Old Testament, you know, different context here, but just an interesting situation here. With here is a people, God's chosen people you know, of the Old Testament, and and you know Moses before his death here in Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 30 verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord that I command you today by you know, and goes on and talks about how they will be blessed. But then in verse seventeen, it also talks about, hey, if they do not do those things, then then, then they'll repair. So here's here's a chosen people, but God has conditions for them to meet. You know, yeah. you could argue that the conditions that He put before them to bless them in the Old Testament may not be things that were worthy of the blessings that He bestowed upon them. But that was the conditions upon the blessings that God offered them.
0: Okay, Good. absolutely Good. Good. Uh, Good. conditional. And uh, but this idea that God gives me faith by his sovereignty, I guess, that God graciously grants it to the rebel sinner.
1: So that yeah, means God, that- God grants them. God grants them faith. God justifies as he graciously grants faith to the rebel sinner. So he does it. It's not, it's not my response. It's God putting faith on me. So my faith
0: is totally... Uh, not, I'm not responsible for any of that. It's all given by God. Does that harmonize with what we see about the scriptures? How we're to,
1: to? Well, again, in every case of conversion in the Book of Acts, the people heard and responded, and so that it wasn't that. So when the when the Philippian jailer said, "What shall I do? What shall I do?" He was told, "Oh, well, let's go to that." In, in Acts chapter sixteen. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Ooh. So, well, no, you're already saved. you Let, let you God can do. throw this on you. Well, well, let's just wait and see if God will
0: give you the faith.
1: Yeah. No, they're told to believe. And and then they went on to speak to him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. Yeah. It says in the next verse, And he took them the same hour and night, and washed his stripes, and was baptized. He and all his straight way. Okay. So. Again, those those cases of conversion in Acts 8, or uh, all through the book of Acts really, those cases of conversion do not harmonize with the idea that faith is just something God grants to those that he chooses to say. That's not true. All right. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about some other passages here um,
0: um, where Jesus says, uh, um, yeah, um, we, we need to believe that we... Uh, uh, what are you thinking of? Uh, in my father's house are many mansions. Uh, let's see, John
1: fourteen. Yeah, um, I believe also. Let's see. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to find it. Go ahead. Okay. So, what about conditions? Is salvation condition? What are the conditions? Phil goes on to say, in no part of salvation can man say, "But for my baptism," which would rightly grant them a level of merit. Not faith, not a good and honest heart, not intellect, not works of righteousness, Titus 3, verse 15. Nothing. God saves sinful men and God receives all the glory, Romans 9, verse 23. Man's pride cannot stomach this. Of the people who teach that justification and right standing before God is grounded in compliance with conditions, I have yet to have someone list all the conditions. The conditions go well beyond the five steps to include right understanding and obedience to all the commands of Scripture, notably evidence in question six of this list. We'll talk about that later. It is little wonder then that so many worry that they didn't do enough as they near death. This is not the easy yoke or the light burden offered in the gospel. So, again, no conditions. uh, We can't even understand. We're not even able to list or comprehend all of the conditions. If it's conditional, Phil says, we, we can't even come up with a good working list of what the conditions might be. That leads to salvation. But you know, again, that just seems so contradictory to what we read in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached and convicted the people present today, crucified God's own son, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2 verse 37. Peter said, nothing to do. If God wants to save you, he will save you. If he wants to save you, you will have the faith that, that produces salvation. No, Peter actually answered them. And he gave them conditions to meet. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, you know, if there if there are no conditions of salvation, Peter's answer there doesn't make sense. If there are no conditions, Peter would say, there's nothing that you can or should do. If God chooses to save you, he will. And if he chooses to reject you, he will. And there's nothing you can do about that. That's clearly not what he said.
0: All right. Why? Why would? Why would Paul go to the synagogues and uh, and contend with the Jews? Why would he do that? God's already chosen the ones he's going to save. Why? Why such a fight? Yeah. Why try and convince people? It doesn't. It doesn't line up. Um, and then he says, not even faith uh, are required in order to be saved. Um, not faith. Not a good and honest heart, not intellect, not works of righteousness, nothing. God saves sinful men, and God receives all the glory. Men's pride cannot stomach this. Well, no one that I know
1: would claim any merit. See, that was a, the other part of that question. It's a straw man. Uh, are, are you going? Are you earning your salvation when you meet these conditions? When you perform certain deeds of righteousness or acts of obedience? You know. Uh, None of us are are pridefully saying, God has to save us now because look exactly what we did. We did all these things, therefore God has to save us. Paul addressed this in Ephesians 2, verse 8. By grace you say through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, notice there's no works Whereby you can boast of your uh, uh, of your meritoriously earning salvation, we're not boasting. We're meeting simple conditions that God has placed upon salvation, but we're not earning salvation when we do that. It, it's by God's grace and mercy. 100%. But but it's still conditional. We've illustrated that so many different times in so many different ways. I, you know, if I told you, come to my house tomorrow at ten thirty a.m. wearing an an orange University of Tennessee ball cap, and I'll give you a hundred dollars. It's not worth it. You wouldn't do that for a hundred, not the way they play <laughs> okay. you understand though there there's there's conditions, but it would still be I would still be gifting you something. Yeah. You wouldn't have earned it. You yeah. would have met certain terms or conditions to receive the hundred dollars yeah. but i mean we we understand that logically in in when we're talking about normal everyday things. We need to apply that same logic to to the conditions that God's placed upon salvation. We're not earning salvation, yeah. and and I and I'm, and I'm pretty sure Phil knows that we don't we don't take that view, uh, and I don't think he's actually accusing us of of that of teaching a an earned salvation. He, he knows us well enough to know that we. Do not take that view. He
0: knows that we don't, we don't profess that, but he would say that if you have, if you're baptized, you, you are in some way earning it. If you do, if you, if you have to do anything, then you are earning it. And we, we'd say you are not earning it. You're complying, but not earning. And that's not, that, that's not, uh, a contradiction to say that we're not earning it, but there are things that we must do. We need to get our last break. And when we get back, uh, we need to get our listeners' responses to question number three. And guess what? There's going to be a 101 A. B. B. Uh, one this B. is yeah. A. Yeah, yeah, yeah this right. is A. All right, don't go anywhere. We're going to the top of the hour right after this.
1: Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible Deficit Disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible Deficit Disorder. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a new survey by Pew Research, about half of self-identified Christians in America say casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. The survey defined casual sex as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship. Catholics were the most likely to take this view at 62%, but mainline Protestants weren't far behind at 54% approving of casual sex. A majority of self-identified Christians, 57%, say sex between unmarried adults, even in a committed relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. That includes 67% of mainline Protestants and 64% of Catholics. That information comes from the Christian Coalition. The Word of God says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. How about logging off of Facebook and
0: getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program uh, talking about Salvation 101, and uh, now looking at our listeners, uh, some more listeners' comments
1: on that question about earning our salvation. So, is salvation conditional? What do our what do our listeners say about Here's that?
0: Here's what Kent says: Salvation is conditional. The non-Christian, having heard the gospel, must believe the message of Christ. John one verse twelve. Repent of personal sins. Acts seventeen thirty. Confess the deity of Christ. Romans ten nine and ten. Be baptized by the authority of Christ for the remission of sins, being added to the Lord's church. Acts two thirty eight and verse forty seven. For the Christian to maintain salvation, one must walk in the light of truth, which includes repentance and confession of sins. Acts eight verse twenty two. First John one six through ten. We cannot do. We cannot and do not earn salvation in any sense of the word by obeying the gospel and living faithful to Christ. One accepts the over, overtures of God's love, mercy and grace, Ephesians 2, 5 through 7.
1: Jim in Kentucky says, is salvation conditional? Yes, it's conditioned upon one repenting of their sins and obeying God's will. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, Luke 13, 5. The, condition, the conditions are to hear the gospel message of Jesus being the Christ, Matthew 28, 19, Acts two thirty six. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, verse 24. To confess Jesus as the Christ, Matthew ten, thirty two, and Acts eight thirty seven. Repent of your sins, Luke twenty four, verse forty seven, Acts two, thirty eight, and to be baptized for the remission of sins, Mark sixteen, sixteen, Acts two, thirty eight. Those who do such are personally added by the Lord to his church, his body, Acts two, forty seven, Ephesians 1, 22, and twenty-three. Salvation cannot be earned. It's offered to God to those who obey him. This is described to by him as his grace. His gift to those who obey Ephesians two eight and nine. And uh, Dwight in
0: uh, Iowa says salvation is conditional. The condition is based off of us. The Lord tells us what we must do to be saved. We can choose to either obey His word or not. One has consequences, and the other has reward. We must hear Romans ten seventeen, believe Mark sixteen sixteen, confess Romans ten nine and ten, repent Acts two thirty seven through thirty eight. Be baptized, Acts 22 verse 16, and remain faithful all days of our lives, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Salvation is not earned. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. By the love and grace of God, we can be saved. Being obedient is not earning. Being obedient is showing our love to God. John 15 verse 14 states that we are his friends if we do what he commands. We can't just feel we and think it is right. Uh, we can't just feel that we are and think it is right. We have to look to God's word and know we are and we are right. Ephesians two eight through ten states salvation is a gift of God with the understanding that we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in
1: them. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle and Iowa tonight. And Grant gives all the same conditions we've already listed. So we won't list them again. He says condition salvation is conditional and gives the same conditions we listed here. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, continue faithfully. Can you earn salvation? He says no. He references Ephesians two, eight and nine, which we looked at. Uh, he says, we're saved by the grace of God. That is unmerited favor, but it is through faith, that is obedient faith, that we are saved by the grace of God. It is not through man's work that we are saved, and in that in, and in that way we cannot earn our salvation. But on the other hand, we're required to do the works of God. Jesus said to John six twenty nine, this is the work of God, that you believe in him and whom, whom he has sent. So we see that belief is a, is a work, but it is a work of God. Similarly, repentance, confession, and baptisms are works. They're not works of men, but works of God. And doing the works of God, in no way are we earning our salvation. Jesus went on to state in Luke 17, verse 10, So you, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That is, we have only done that which our personal obligation or duty to do and are still unworthy of the grace or unmerited favor that God gives us. I think you're right. Well said, Grant. All right. Well, bye. That hour went fast. We got halfway through. Um, so let's, let's say that next week we'll continue this salvation. We'll, we'll call this episode Salvation 101A. Next week will be Salvation 101B. We're going to get the, the last four questions that we ask and we might throw in another question or two if we have enough time. In our discussion next week, and
0: if any of our listeners want to add additional comments on what we've said so far, we'd welcome some of that as well. We
1: can go back over yeah. some of this again. And, and, by, and could we say one more time, we love our brother Phil. And I hope that. Uh, and, and we didn't mean to, that anything we said would be offensive or, or hard-hearted. We disagree adamantly with the positions that Phil now holds. He knows that. He knew that before we began our discussion. We'd be glad to to talk with him. Personally, privately, on the air, uh, yeah. uh But but uh, uh, we 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 certainly meant no disrespect to Phil. Yes,
0: and I hope that uh, that our love for you came across, to Phil, and uh, what we said tonight. And Phil, if, if if you would like to add more to what you responded to via email, or if you just want to come on the program and talk with us uh, next week or some week in the future, uh, we'd welcome that as well. Uh, but, uh, we do, we do disagree and, uh, and we, it's very important as we've said all along tonight in our discussion that we be able to harmonize all that the scripture teaches. We can't just take a verse out and, and, and take it out of, and make it di- differ or, uh, contradict with other parts of the scripture. And we believe our view does not, but if you think that we're wrong in that, uh, we would welcome your comments at any time. Questions at com is the way that you get in touch with us to share your thoughts with us tonight. Jared, uh, final thoughts from you tonight. We didn't get much from you tonight. We sort of got wrapped up in our conversation over here. Any final thoughts from you?
3: No. Enjoyed being here. Thanks for letting me participate.
0: Kyle, how about you?
3: It was a good study. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for getting it out. Dad, uh, uh, good discussion. Enjoyed the time with you tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being here. hope you benefited from our study discussion of God's Word. hope you make plans to be back here this, next, this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.